from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't like who I could. not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. This is the Blitz at Six. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at Six. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Thursday, June 25th. Can't believe July 4th is creeping up on us just around the corner. Also, spring training 2.0 report date, catchers and pitchers report date right around the corner now. And we'll discuss in this hour. We got to hear from Jerry DePoto yesterday on the details of how things will work players uh, on the taxi squad that'll be implemented this year, how that will affect their development plan for some young talent, and the fact that you might be able to see some of those big-name prospects in the majors this year because of the unique situation, 60 players available to them. So we'll hear from him. John Stanton also joining 710 yesterday, and the Professor John Clayton. It's ahead in this hour. Right now, let's get to your headlines. What we do know about the 2020 season, which came together in long but then quick fashion, three months of negotiations, but then uh, moving ahead with the 60-game season earlier this week, opening day, we know it will be July 23rd or 24th, spring training July 1st. Uh, As for the schedule itself, uh, aside from the 60 games, we know each team will play 10 games apiece against its division uh, mates for a total of 40 games. And then the remaining 20 will likely be interleague games within the same division. So with the idea of limiting travel and keeping teams uh, within their coast or within uh, the central division as uh, as to limit to limit travel over concerns for COVID-19. So for the Mariners, uh, possibly playing the Dodgers, the Giants, the Rockies, the Diamondbacks, and the Padres, keeping it on the West Coast. Jerry DePoto yesterday talking about they don't have the details precisely of the schedule yet. We don't. Uh, that is a, a work in progress. We do know that we're going to play a, a, a... Our schedule will be comprised of 40 games against teams in the American League West and 20 games against teams in the National League West. Uh to the to the extent that that is uh, that that is game by game drawn out yet it still needs to be approved by both the league and the PA so we don't have a specific schedule or start date but we know that it's going to start July 23rd or 4th and it will wrap on September 27th we'll play a 60 game schedule uh, and the and the goal here in operating solely in the west is just to minimize travel try to promote safety to the, to the extent that we can by, by not moving the players around as, as frequently as the normal schedule requires. Baseball's in an interesting position because they will be playing out of their home stadiums and not a bubble environment like we know the NHL, the MLS, and the NBA are going to attempt to do. So, Jerry DePoto, on how they'll operate out of T-Mobile? No, we'll, we will operate out of T-Mobile. Uh, once we break into our, our major league club and our taxi squad, we, we intend to have the taxi squad stationed at Tacoma. But for the time being, uh, all of our workouts, you know, spring training version two uh, will occur at T-Mobile. Now, social distancing is really difficult uh, when you're playing a sport, but how will the team utilize space and try to maintain distance as much as possible? In using T-Mobile, we're also planning on on spreading out. 
so to speak. So, you know, we'll have 60 players on site. We, we will use both the home and, and visitors clubhouses as, as well as an auxiliary space. Uh, we will have two sets of coaches, you know, one that will stay with the major league club and one that will break out with the taxi squad when, when we separate after the, the three week spring training. They too will, we will create as much distance within the space as we can. And, you know, we are, we're, we're very confident that we're going to be able to, to break the group up into, to operational, uh, to sizes that make sense and, and at least adhere to all the social distancing, uh, norms that we've become accustomed to. As for the players, they uh, are ready to play and don't have concerns, according to DePoto. Uh, our, our expectation right now with our players is that everybody will report. Uh, and just the initial feedback, we've already heard from 25, 30 players uh, uh, on our 40 man, and, and they're chomping at the bit. The, our, our group is likely to be you know, sooner than later, and uh, I think they're, they, we'll see the first of them start to arrive here in Seattle as early as Saturday. And and then we need to begin the the intake program and start testing our our players and and then self quarantining until we get the the, the test back before they enter the the environment, so to speak. As for the roster itself, we know the first two weeks uh, there'll be thirty players on uh, the active roster. Next two weeks, twenty eight players. The rest of the season, it will. Uh, pair down to 26. There's no September call-ups, and they're still working with the 40-man active roster, but now the addition of 20 players, a, a taxi squad of sorts, allowing teams um, some extra room because of concerns for COVID-19 and also just regular injury concerns with a shortened season, with not knowing what conditioning shape guys are in right now. Jerry DePoto on how the taxi squad will work for them. So the taxi squad is a, it's, it's an independent unit. The, the 40 man roster players who, who are on the taxi squad are, we're operating under the same rules that govern the, the present CBA. So, you know, they will be working on, on option and, uh, and the, the rest of the players have just been invited to, to take part. So there'll be a number of players for us that are, as you might expect, we don't have 60 players on a 40 man roster. So, our balance will be met by by prospects and or players we feel like are close to their their major league, uh, I guess, the major league doorstep. But Depoto mentioning that they will have developmental players on that taxi squad. The, this we will have a group of developmental players that that will be a part of our taxi squad, and uh, I'd feel comfortable that that I can walk you through those names in about 24 hours, but I think they should hear from me before they read their name uh, in the media. So uh, there will, we will commit to a handful of players uh, and making sure that we recover as much of their developmental season as we can. In addition to the, the 30 man, which will eventually be paired down to 26 man major league club and the, the players who will balance out the 40 man roster and or uh, be relied on to, to fill in, in in the event of injury or illness. We'll hear more from Jerry uh, later in this hour on how that might specifically affect the development and the trajectory of specific players and prospects, but also saying yesterday that players have tested positive, uh, but declined to specify the number or whether they were part of Seattle's 40-man roster. DePoto said they have all been asymptomatic. Uh, more than one. 
And, and a lot of that is is obviously going to be protected information. But you know, we've had we've had uh, more than one player in our organization test positive. We're we're not yet sure if that's with with testing come coming this weekend. Uh, how much of that will affect our forty man roster? But with uh, w- with the cases popping up, especially in, in some of the hot spots around the country, we have had a few players test positive, and right now they're asymptomatic. They feel great, uh, but they uh, we are aware that they're positive, and obviously they will not be in the environment when we open up until we've determined uh, either a they they are part of the the roster group or b they are healthy enough to to be a part of that. Jerry DePoto with some thoughts on how pitching will look in 2020. Uh, first of all, saying that all starting pitchers they have are ready to go. They have. Uh, you know, the, the one who who had the, I guess, the the least number of, of total reps was Taiwan. Uh, but everyone's been throwing uh, on a regular basis. Uh, Justin Dunn uh, specifically uh, and, and Yusei Kikuchi for, for most of the last month have been working out at the facility down in Peoria. Uh, get video footage of them every three or four days. And they've been throwing full tilt uh, versus uh, hitters in live BP type sessions, you know, built up to 40, 60 pitches. And uh, they come in generally ready. I know Marco has not shockingly been very diligent in his bullpen program uh, up here in Seattle. And and he, he will come in ready to go. We know baseball is going to experiment with some new things in the game this year, including starting with a runner on second base in extra innings. Um, But I also think you might see teams experiment with different uh, strategies, including Jerry DePoto mentioning that they are going to use a six-man pitching rotation to start the season. And uh, this could be part of the future of baseball, in my opinion. We are going to run a six-man pitching rotation where, where our starters are only throwing once a week. And they'll be in the early going. We're also going to to allow for a piggyback type setup where, where where starters who aren't quite as built up as others have a second starter throwing on that day with them. And that's how we're likely to use the extra roster spots early is just to protect the the health and 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 well being of our pitchers after such a long layoff. We've seen it a little bit with uh, the opener in the recent years, um, but also I think you could see more essentially of those long inning starts, whether it's three innings and uh, two guys sort of going back to back in the coming years. And maybe this year is just a chance to experiment with that and expediting what would be an eventuality. Up next on The Blitz, Pete Carroll had a message for Steve Rabel yesterday that I want you to hear. Plus, Colin Coward with some thoughts on the Seahawks and the NFC West. It's next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Thursday, June 25th. Still a lot of unknowns when it comes to what the NFL season will look like, what training camp will look like amidst concerns for COVID-19. What will the Seahawks look like as they move through their virtual offseason? Danny O'Neill, Danny Gallant. Uh, yesterday, a topic of discussion was the Seahawks defense. And Danny O'Neill saying he wonders why we trick ourselves into believing the Seahawks are ever going to be more aggressive. I defense. know that each year we sit there, and I was complaining about this yesterday, that 
we're going to get into training camp and then there's going to be the story about how they might get a little more exotic this year <laughs> and they might use a few more blitzes. Yeah. And 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 when that comes up, like I want to bang my head into a table because I'm like, every year for the past six years we write about this in training camp, and then you sit there and you go ask Pete Carroll, is like, what have you guys thought about 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 blitzing a little bit more? He'll give you this quote about we try to use all our players. I'm like, oh, they really might blitz a little bit more. Then you ask Ken Norton, and Ken Norton's like, yeah, he goes, well, I'm not, I'm not quite sure, but we're taking it. We're we're going to really consider the best way to bring pressure. We might have to do some different things. And then about week three, we're going to be the Seahawks are the least blitzingest team in the NFL. And they're doing exactly what they've always done, and they're playing a cover three zone. Danny Neal also on whether Ken Norton Jr. is in a hot seat this year. I don't have much hope that the defense is going to be different schematically. I think they're going to be better because some of their younger players are going to get more opportunities. But that question of if Ken Norton is is this the last, I think that depends. Does this defense get get close to being average because it was a bad defense last year. And I don't think that's Norton's fault because I think that he is running the defense that Pete Carroll has laid out here. But they've certainly got to find a way to be better than they've been. And and if not, yeah, I, I think you could see a change. I'm just not sure how much of a difference it's going to be because I do think Pete's DNA and fingerprints are all over this defense. How about the offense? Uh, there's been some rumors lately that the Seahawks are interested in Antonio Brown and also a possibility of Josh Gordon returning to Seattle or to returning to the league. John Clayton yesterday uh, talking about uh, Philip Dorsett, the addition, and how Tom Brady, uh, he liked Josh Gordon and Antonio Brown, but had some kind of issue with Dorsett's play. Like, for example, I know I talked to some people today, and what they did say was that uh, Tom got tired of Philip Dorsett and uh, decided to shut him out, and that got into a little bit of a shouting match with Josh McDaniels, and uh, you know some of the receivers he didn't like, and so, but the one guy that he did like is Josh Gordon to a point where he went to Bruce Arians and said, "Hey, why don't you get uh, to, to Antonio Brown?" I mean, and he liked Antonio Brown too, and so he wanted Antonio Brown down with Tampa. But Bruce Arians coached him in Pittsburgh and said, "There's no way, <laughs> not going to go through that." So that didn't happen, and so, but uh, he liked both uh, Brady, like Josh Gordon, and he also liked uh, you know getting Antonio Brown, and he wanted him in Tampa. But so it tells you it's like he has he has value without question. But again, you know how many games is he going to be able to play this year? Michael Bumpus is standing in yesterday and I, I loved his thoughts too on on he's not sure what Brady's issue was with Philip Dorsett because he thinks he might be the Seahawks most polished wide receiver. Oh man, the guy I'm looking forward to see. Honestly, I want to see Philip Dorsett because I watched film on him with the New England Patriots and he does a lot of good things. And then I hear a story that um, Tom Brady kind of shunned him a little bit and didn't really like him for some reason. Maybe he wasn't running the right routes. I only looked at his highlights, so I didn't go in and dive in and really watch, you know, a full game about on him. But I love his speed. I love his creativity at the top of the routes. And I think he's a polished receiver. He might be one of the most probably he might be the most polished receiver on this roster as far as getting in and out of breaks and making it look sharp. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a receiver. So I got to look at that receiver spot. Philip Dorsett. But the Seahawks still looking to add in that department and Antonio Brown, a name that continues to surface in rumors with the Seahawks. Colin Coward yesterday on his show on The Herd had some thoughts on the Seahawks considering Antonio Brown. He says it's to keep up with the Niners. Antonio Brown's a great player for about a six year stretch. He wasn't just the best receiver in the league. It wasn't close. 
His average year was 11 touchdowns, 1,500 yards, and 114 catches. I mean, it was absurd. It's one of the great six-year runs. It's like Randy Moss in his peak. He just couldn't guard him. Uh, but not a very good human being. So my two takeaways uh, on this are there's a lot of teams that would like uh, uh, Antonio Brown. But Seattle trusts Russell Wilson because he always does. They trust them to just make it work. Russell Wilson makes everything work. Bad old lines, good old lines, rookies, veterans. Russell Wilson makes everything work. And Seattle's saying, well, not ideal, but he'd make it work. <laughs> That's a big tip of the cap to Russell. But I think there's something else at play here. I think the San Francisco 49ers are so formidable that it is forcing everybody in their division, Seattle, the L.A. Rams, and Arizona, to take big swings. Cowherd with more thoughts on that tough competition in the NFC West. When you see greatness happen early, it's not hard to see Saban by year three or Brady by a second or third Super Bowl or or the San Francisco 49ers and go, if we don't get ahead of this, if we don't take some big swings on this, we're going to get buried for the next 10 years because San Francisco's not going away. They just gave Kyle... Shanahan as another extension. Garoppolo got to a Super Bowl in his first full year as 21 and 5 as a starter. Bose is better than we thought he would be in the NFL. George Kittle's unguardable. And all those young receivers like Debo appear to be getting better by the game. So I think at some point there's a niner fear in that division. You better take some big cuts and big swings and big chances or you're going to be buried by that Niner avalanche for a long time. Can we just get a little break in the NFC West, right? So let's not forget about the Cardinals, too, adding DeAndre Hopkins this offseason and Kyler Murray on the rise. Up next on the Blitz, uh, there's been some discussion about the NFL considering allowing authorities in each city to decide stadium capacities. So that would look very different across different cities and uh, teams. We'll hear more from Bob David Moore on this discussion next on The Blitz, right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you hanging out Thursday, June 25th. Thanks for being here this morning. Hopefully waking up. Or maybe sleeping in, maybe we'll listen to this later on. Yesterday on Bob David Moore, there was some discussion about the NFL considering allowing authorities in local cities to decide stadium capacity. Here was the guys discussing. Right, we talked about the NFL considering leaving the number of fans allowed in each stadium up to the individual city. Uh, cut number 10, Ian Rappaport's talking about the NFL's goal is to allow local authorities for each team, there, there'll be no no blanket policy. This is about allowing individual teams to figure that out for themselves. The goal is always to be a level playing field. Hard to view what's happened, let's say, with the Chargers the last couple of years is level. What the NFL does is really what every league does is try its best to be equitable and level and try to come as close to that as possible. Uh, as far as the fans in the stands, there was actually an interesting article in The Athletic about this yesterday. What it sounds like, from my understanding, the league is leaning toward right now is to allow the local authorities to determine how many fans can be in the stands. And uh, if you've been following the coronavirus coverage, and I mean, I assume everyone has, is probably the most important thing going on right now, um, as far as health goes, 
you know, if you've been following it, the states and the circumstances in the states vary so greatly. It does make sense if the NFL lets local authorities determine this. Right now, this is under consideration from the NFL. As is the case with everything, uh, it has not been firmly decided. And of course, it could change as things change in different states from week to week. But the plan is to have the local authorities decide how many fans can be in the stands. It's going to be pretty interesting, you know, and it feels like that could shift as the months go on if the season continues. And, you know, maybe one state that seemed like the cases were really trending down and they were low, they were allowing fans in the stadium, and maybe all of a sudden there's a spike, so then there'll be fewer fans allowed at their next home game or, you know, a couple weeks down the road. It it feels fluid. It feels like, you know, each city could start out one way but end up a different way in terms of number of fans being allowed in the building. Yeah, I don't know what to make of that. Uh, I, I, I just, it, it seems unfair to me. And I know, you know, you, people can text in and say, well, life isn't fair, Jim. O- okay, but it, it, doesn't that seem like it gives some teams a bigger advantage over other teams that, that can't have fans come to their games? And I, I, don't, yeah. see what's, I don't see what's right about that. I, I understand that you're going to try and make revenue where you can, and so you can't, if... if Say you're in Miami and you can fill half the stadium, but what if you're in Seattle and, and you can't have any fans at all? I so I, I just I don't get it. I, I I just don't get that. I don't I don't think it. I think they need to have a uniform cap on how many people can go to the games, and yet I know that's that's wishful thinking. That's not going to happen. Yeah, I mean I, I think it's almost impossible to do that, Jim. This because every region is different, right? In Washington, I feel like people got ahead of this thing and really took it seriously and stayed home. And then you go all the way down to the other corner of the country in Florida, where it seemed like two weeks after the virus hit, people are on the, the beach chilling, having fun, you know, and I feel like they're going to have the biggest home field advantage in Florida if it stays this way. Now, the the cases are spiking in Florida right now, so we'll see what they end up doing over there. But as of now, Florida has the biggest home field advantage out there. Florida and then Georgia, so the Atlanta Falcons have a home field advantage, and some teams in Texas. But simply because this country is so dang big and governors are on totally different pages, I think it's impossible to have everyone do the same thing unless you just say, look, no one's going to any of the games. Yeah, which you can't do. I mean, that that part's not fair. You know, you talk about fairness, Jim. And, you know, what if, if, if Washington is, is, you know, trending way down and the cases are way down and, and the governor's saying, hey, you know, let people in the stadium, why would, why would the Seahawks have to suffer because uh, Texas is spiking big time and they're not allowing fans in their stadium, right? So, it, you know, everybody's trying to figure out a way to get the economy going and to generate revenue. It, it, it wouldn't be fair to, to shut down one city who's not having an issue because another city on the other side of the country is having an issue. Yeah, but, Bob, does it make sense to, like, let's say, like, like Bump's talking about, Miami. Let's, let's say they had 50,000 people there for the Dolphins game against the Seahawks in game four. They never have 50,000 people there. Okay, well, <laughs> well, play along with me anyway. Even when there's okay. no virus. <laughs> so, so the states that are doing the poorest job of, of dealing with the coronavirus, they're going to have an advantage over the states that, you know, are doing a better job in trying to keep the cases down. I, I don't know in whose world that makes sense to anyone. 
That conversation available. Uh, download, subscribe to the Bob Dave and More podcasts on 710sports.com or wherever you get podcasts. Also joined by Mariners insider Shannon Dreher. She's got a great piece up at 710sports.com right now on what the 60-game season will look like for the Mariners and the restart, the spring training of sorts, but also joining that show yesterday to discuss. Time to talk some baseball with our Mariners insider, Shannon Dreher, who joins us now. Hello, Shannon. Hello, guys. Well, let's uh, let's get into what you heard today. We heard from uh, CEO John Stanton. We heard from uh, Jerry Depoto today. I want to get your thoughts on all of that. One question I wanted to ask you, though, out of the gate that I haven't seen any real clarity on is, you know, since there is no minor league season out there, does that impact if if the Mariners call up Kelnick or Rodriguez or any of these guys? Does the clock start for them? Is it is that been changed at all in terms of their service time and the clock starting with no minor league season happening? Yeah, it would. But I think that the way that they're going to um, kind of work around that and take the opportunity to get those guys work is there will be a 30-man taxi squad that's going to be housed in um, Tacoma. And what that is is that's going to be a group of players who continue to work out, and they're going to play a lot of intra-squad games. And that's going to be the pool that teams have to draw from should injury occur if they need another pitcher and things along those lines. And the way the Mariners are going to handle that is they'll have guys that can come in and be the replacements that they need. But because they have so much flexibility with their roster with all the utility players that they have, they're going to really try and stock up the bulk of that roster uh, with young prospect types. So they will be close by. They will be in the spring training, the entire spring training over at T-Mobile Park. And then when the season starts, they'll go to Tacoma, continue to work out. They will have a separate coaching staff there, have the intra-squad games. And so they'll be able to get some sort of work in and some sort of kind of quote game experience where if you look at it, I mean, there are, they may be facing better pitchers than they would have at the level that they would have been in the minor leagues. It'll be a little bit different, but they'll be able to keep them close. And the only way that they would have service time taken away would be if they actually got called up to the big leagues. And it doesn't appear like that is the plan. I know we heard quite a bit about you could see Logan Gilbert at midseason. And I think we would have under normal circumstances, maybe even sooner. You could see Kelnick by the end of the year. I think there was a good chance of that. But since they were not able to get that experience at the start of the season, they're not going to push them to bring them up. But they will take advantage of kind of the mechanism that's in place that they can get them that work. And then there is some hope that there will be some sort of fall league action uh, this fall. So hopefully all is not lost in that regard. Shannon, uh, Jerry DePoto talking about Mitch Hanniger today. It uh, sounded ominous to me. Did it to you? No, I don't think so. I, I think that what you're dealing with, and first of all, let's recall that he had two surgeries. He had a core surgery followed by a back surgery. And I know the back surgery sounds like that was the scary thing. Actually, that was the easiest to come back from. It was, you know, a minimal incision. Uh, the bigger problem was the core surgery. Anytime you cut into any of those muscles, the rehab is very tricky and it's very, very easy to get, you know, suffer setbacks in that if you don't do it exactly correctly. And Mitch has been down in California. I talked to him about a month ago and I don't know if this has, had changed since, but because he was in California and because of the restrictions that they had, he couldn't go to a physical therapy training center and, and be worked on by a physical therapist. And he had to do all of his PT work up to that point on his own. Now, he was checking in, uh, you know, the trainers, the Mariners trainers were checking in with him daily. He had one pretty much specifically assigned to him, and they were doing video conferencing and whatnot. But 
Uh, I don't think that they were really expecting him back before July, even in the best of circumstances. And now they just don't know where he's at with it right now. If he did everything right and if he was following, you know, if, I think they've had a little bit of luck on his side. So perhaps he is close to where he should be had he had access to a PT. But we don't know and they won't know until they get him in front of them. Shannon Jr. Mariners Insider. Read her stories at 710sports.com. Up next on The Blitz, it is time for the hot list. Ezekiel Elliott speaking out yesterday after being diagnosed with the coronavirus, how that experience was for him, how he's feeling now, plus how the NFL may deal with positive tests in the future. It's next in the hot list right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. It's time for The Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 645. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go! Seahawks legend KJ Wright recently talking about the Seahawks, the best team that he's been on. If the answer will surprise you, but he picked 2014. Now, see, I'm going 2014 because of pretty much your same exact argument. You had Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill on the bench a good majority of the game. Now, when in 2014, that was yeah, 2013. Okay. Now, 2014, mm-hmm. these two dudes are starting. And Mike B was just causing havoc. Okay. Cliff he was. was causing havoc. He was. He was. And then you got the surrounding cast. You got the Cliffs. The I mean, you got the Bobbies, the KJs, who had an extra year mm-hmm. of just confidence, of just chemistry. Okay. And it was just, that, that 2014 team did, hands down, one of probably the most impressive things I've ever seen. And that was beat the Green Bay Packers in the NFC Championship. In those conditions, no other team in the NFL history could have did that. Um, there's been a lot of discussion about the uh, most legendary Seahawks team, most legendary teams according to DVOA and Football Outsiders lately, and 2014 popping up on that list. Speaking of the Seahawks, Pete Carroll had a message for one Mr. Steve Rabel, another Seahawks legend, and announced earlier this year that uh, he was going to be retiring from his news position. And Pete Carroll took that opportunity yesterday to say, well, now you can be full-time Seahawks. This is a big week because I know you're, uh, you're you're pushing away from the desk. And, and uh, after all these years of, of really extraordinary impact you've had on our area and the people from, you've been there so long. You mean, kids have grown up watching you and learning from you and being affected by your, your, your wisdom and your perspective in a really awesome way. Okay, so congratulations. You're calling, you're so good at it. You're calling the shots. I love it. But that's not why I'm calling. Why I'm calling is, do you realize what's coming up? You're going to be full-time Seahawks. You ain't stepping away from that now. Full-time Seahawks. See, you've been calling these games all these years from the seat of your pants. You didn't have to do any preparation or nothing. Think now, because you know what's going to happen? I'm going to load you up. I'm going to give you so much background, so much information. You're going to have so much homework to do to get ready for these games. I don't know what these broadcasts are going to be like, but look out. The Rams is full-time Seahawks. The 12s are going to love it. The players are going to love it. The franchise is going to love it. Coaches are going to love it. 
I can't even imagine how good you're going to be because you're already awesome. So congrats. We love you. Uh, thrilled that you're going to stay with us and keep working us. But get ready because I'm coming after you, brother. Congrats, man. I love it. 38 years at Cairo 7 for Raids lighting up our television screens, but still getting to hear the dulcet tones of his voice on Seahawks broadcast, thankfully, and full-time Seahawks now, according to Pete Carroll. PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan said yesterday that extra testing and stricter monitoring for protocols or of protocols that would result in, quote, serious repercussions uh, will go into effect for offenders, excuse me, will go into effect in the wake of three positive COVID-19 tests this week at the Travelers Championship in Cromwell, Connecticut. Monaghan said that across the PGA Tour, as well as the developmental Corn Ferry Tour, there have been just under 3,000 tests, 2,700, with seven coming back positive. Cameron Champ and caddies Ricky Elliott and Ken Conboy have tested positive since arriving at TPC River Highlands. Elliott caddies for Brooks Kepka decided to withdraw from the tournament despite a negative test, and Monaghan said... There was no consideration of shutting down the Travelers Championship. He would not identify a number of positive results that would cause him to cancel any tournament going forward. He was asked, uh, is today a concern or are the low numbers still a positive sign? So I think for us, as we look at where we are now three weeks in and on the eve of our, of our first round at the Travelers Championship, I think we all need to remind ourselves that... Um, we're all learning to live with this virus and we all need to learn to live with this virus both as individuals as family members and certainly uh, within our businesses and it's pretty clear that this virus isn't going anywhere uh he did stress in the news conference though that players and caddies and those working at the events uh, that follow the various protocols is going to be essential to their business continuing going to be essential to the tour for them being able to proceed uh, and what would happen to a player or a caddy who doesn't follow the guidelines all of us have an extraordinary responsibility to follow those protocols for any individual any individual that does not there will be serious repercussions and i'm not going to get into the specifics of it but everybody knows and needs to know um, that our our future our ability to to, to sustain this business and to impact the communities where we play and to create so many jobs is contingent on our ability to, to follow those protocols. So uh, when we have instances where someone hasn't, they will be dealt with. And, and there, as I said, the consequences will be significant. Dallas Cowboys running back Ezekiel Elliott uh, was diagnosed with COVID-19 10 days ago and said yesterday that he's feeling, quote, normal, but has not been cleared by doctors to work out as of yet. He was speaking on a Twitch feed and said he had some symptoms in terms of shortness of breath and a cough for a couple of days. I'm feeling good. Uh, I would say I had maybe one or two days where I felt symptoms. And even then, it wasn't too bad. I, I had a cough and uh, a little bit of shortness of breath. But... Uh, now, obviously, I feel, feel, feel good. I feel normal. Um, still can't work out. I got to wait until uh, I could have went and got retested uh, this week. Um, I just decided, I mean, it won't, it won't hurt just to, to wait another week and uh, just give myself more time to uh, rest up. But uh, I feel good. Uh, the three-time Pro Bowler saying he believed there that if he tested again, the result would come back negative. But... There's no harm in giving it a few more days. 
Cases of positive tests for the virus are on the rise in several states. And so the 24-year-old saying he is concerned uh, about the about the safety of players when the NFL decides to return and when training camps in July come back. Here was him speaking about health and safety concerns for NFL players. A lot of moving parts that have to be figured out. Um, I just don't know how they can keep the, the players healthy. Uh, you got to put yeah. the, the health of the players first. And, uh, and it's not even so much, I would say, the players' health because, I mean, I got corona and it didn't, really didn't affect me much. But, you know, some a lot of people have have kids, you know, they may have kids with asthma, they may have newborn babies, um, their parents or grandparents may live with them. And uh, I just, um, we have to find a way to make sure that the players and their families, and even and the coaches also, and their families um, aren't put at risk. Mike Tannenbaum, ESPN NFL front office insider yesterday on how the NFL teams are going to take precautions. It's going to be tough to socially distance with preseason roster limits so I think what we're going to see is a lot of creativity where maybe we'll have the offensive players in for half the day then the defensive players maybe still have some virtual meetings and um, I think all reasonable precautions will take place in terms of hand sanitizing and uh, maybe masks on while players are off the field and I think the expectation guys is we will see positive tests Kevin Seifert made an uh, important point yesterday, too, is that athletes constantly are playing with pain. It's almost part of sports as of now. Uh, Playing through the pain seems to be something that is rewarded uh, oftentimes or at least, you know, told that that's what makes you tough. Unfortunately, now you're in the midst of a a COVID-19 pandemic and will players and coaches be bullish of these health and safety protocols because they've often been told to play through tough situations. I think it's definitely something that's going to have to be navigated because I, I just think that there's a mentality in football of, you know, they push through injuries. They push through, uh, you know, times when they're in pain and they push through times when they're, you know, they've lost function or, or not fully functional because of the injuries that they've suffered. And so there's definitely a, a tendency, I'm sure, to, to view the virus as the same thing. You know, if you do, if you prep for it, if you, if you do all the rehab that you're supposed to do, that you can get yourself back out there. Um, and I think that that is something that maybe they'll have to be protected you know, from themselves on. And, and the good thing, I think, if you're someone who really wants to see an NFL season, is that by all accounts, the NFL medical staff and the NFLPA, the union's medical staff, really have been working hand-in-hand to come up with the policies we've seen put out so far, and then the big policy that's going to be put out at some time pretty soon about how all the things we're talking about is going to work. You know, will there be a bubble? You know, how long we have to quarantine? All those kind of things. And so, you know, the players, you would think uh, most of them would take the lead from their union or at least work through it with their union before all of this played itself out on the field. Kevin Sievert also saying that the are considering the NFL is adapting something from the XFL, which would be the Team Nine idea, a common squad of players in a central location that could be used to fill in roster spots if COVID nineteen or injuries uh, end up leading to needing more players than normal, but keeping these guys in a centralized area. That's one idea that they have been kicking around, adopting from the XFL. 
Uh, the Washington football team, I will call them that, are the Washington epithets, as Danny O'Neill refers to them, until they change their name. But they are removing George Preston's Marshall uh, from George Preston Marshall's name from the Ring of Fame at FedEx Field, according to a team spokesperson, less than a week after a statue was removed from their former home. Uh, Washington will also remove him from their history wall outside the locker room at their practice facility. Marshall was the last NFL owner to integrate his franchise. Uh, Major League Baseball, they have submitted a plan to the Canadian government, so that would allow for Toronto this year to play in their home stadium. Health authorities, though, are examining it. As of now, spokesperson for the Public Health Agency of Canada said Wednesday the restart plan is being reviewed. Uh, They said that Major League Baseball requires the formal support of health authorities in Ontario for that to happen. Anyone entering Canada for non-essential reasons right now has to be in quarantine for 14 days. And the USA-Canada border remains closed to non-essential travel until at least July 21st. Well, despite baseball's most palpable labor tension since the seven-and-a-half-month strike of 94 wiped out the World Series, the 2020 season is on. We got to hear from Jerry DePoto yesterday on what this will be like for the Mariners getting back to work. He said that players are already chomping at the bit. They don't have concerns. They're ready to go. Uh, Our our expectation right now with our players is that everybody will report. uh, And just the initial feedback, we've already heard from 25, 30 players uh, on our 40-man, and and they're chomping at the bit. Our our group is likely to be sooner than later, and uh, I think they're – We'll see the first of them start to arrive here in Seattle as early as Saturday. And, and then we need to begin the, the intake program and start testing our, our players and, and then self-quarantining until we get the, the, the test back before they enter the, the environment, so to speak. DePoto did say later in that conversation with media yesterday that a few Mariners players have tested positive for COVID-19 but declined to specify the number or whether they are part of Seattle's 40-man roster. Poto said they have all been asymptomatic, though. Um, How are these rosters going to work? One of the really interesting areas will be how teams utilize that taxi squad of 20 players. They'll have the 40-man active roster, but then a taxi squad of 20 players. And that will allow teams to use a lot of uh, probably big-name prospects that were already on the cusp of uh, reaching the MLB, but might expedite that a little bit. So uh, Jerry DePoto on how that tox- taxi squad will work. So the taxi squad is a, it's, it's an independent unit. The 40 the man roster players who, who are on the taxi squad are, were operating under the same rules that govern the, the present CBA. So, you know, they will be working on, on option and, uh, and the, the rest of the players have just been invited to, to take part. So there'll be a number of players for us that are, as you might expect, we don't have 60 players on a 40-man roster. So our balance will be met by by prospects and or players we feel like are close to their, their major league, uh, I guess, the major league doorstep. Logan Gilbert, George Kirby, Jared Kelnick might be among those players that you see in the majors later this year. Jerry DePoto actually going to join Danny and Gallant this morning for more at 8.30 a.m. So make sure you tune into that. That's wrap for the hot list and the entire Blitz at 6 hour. Danny and Gallant coming away now right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.